All right, good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good to see you. I wanna say a big thank you to Pastor Don. We so appreciate your leadership. You are leading with such a pastor's heart and with such excellence. Would you just give it up for our leader? We so appreciate you and your team. And uh, I was sitting right in front of the legend, Pastor Bongiorno. And I gotta say that 30 years ago, so Allison Park Church is a pre-existing church that was planted in 1960s and uh, when they nominated me to be the potential candidate, I was looking for a way out because I, I didn't know that I could do the job at that particular moment, honestly. And so I called uh, Pastor Buongiorno and I said to my wife, if he tells me no, I'm, I'm gonna pull my name down. And I thought, okay, I'm only 27 years old. Maybe, maybe he'll have a wise mind and heart and tell me no. So I asked him, I said, what do you think? Do you think I should do this? And he paused for a moment and he thought, and then he said, you know, Jeff, I think you'd be good at this. You have my confidence. And I was like, oh, man. No, no, really. I, I was thankful and not thankful at the same time. Have you ever been there? Right? So, so but I just want to say, Pastor Buongiorno, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for your confidence in that, in that moment. Honestly, you, you helped launch me into that, and I really appreciate you. It just kind of shows you the power of a district or district superintendent or leaders to be able to pave the way to give us permission to dream. And uh, hopefully that's what we get a chance to do today. All right, I wanna tell you about a moment that happened for just about a month ago for me that was so transformative. So um, I was asked to do the memorial service for my Aunt Margaret. Uh, her and her husband pastored in Hancock, Maryland, just across the border from Pennsylvania. And she was in her mid-80s, and she passed away. And so because my dad is, is not well enough to do the service, um, they asked me to, to, to step in. Of course, this is my dad's older sister. And so as I was doing the, the funeral service, memorial service for Aunt Margaret, they put up on the screen some pictures of, you know, when she was young and pictures of my dad as a little boy, pictures of my grandpa. And one of the pictures that pop up on the screen just took my breath away. So a little bit of background. So, you know, when my dad was growing up, my dad pastored at Monroeville Assembly for 40 years. He kind of replanted that church in 1965. But when my dad was growing up, until he was about 10 years old, uh, his family, we were not Christians. Our family were not Christians. In fact, my dad's grandpa was a uh, chronic alcoholic and uh, had 12 children but never had, had a good job, didn't hold a good job down, didn't support the family. And so his dad, my grandpa, grew up having to quit school at 12 years old, worked to support the family. He grew up very bitter, wounded, and angry. In fact, my dad said that he lived in fear of his dad because his dad had such a temper. He said if we would ever go into town, my dad would get into a fight. My grandpa just was fighting all the time. He was the one guy in town, in this little small town of Lonaconing, Maryland, that they said, you know, <laughs> Thomas Leake, he'll never get saved. You know, the, the church was praying for him, but I mean, he just seemed too far gone. And then one day, he was walking past a tent meeting revival and he heard the music and he heard the preaching and he felt convicted and he went in and there he walked to the front and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And yeah, give it up for that. So, so and, and my grandma, she got saved and, and the four kids, they all got saved. And then up on the screen, up on the screen, they put this picture. This is a 71-year-old picture. You can see to the right, that's my grandpa. This is the moment that changed everything for my family. 
See him, he's got his hand raised. He's getting ready to get baptized in water. And just behind him, that's my grandma. She's looking, see the look on her face. She's just anticipating this moment. Behind her is my Aunt Margaret, and then my dad's two sisters. And somewhere up on that little, uh, you know, precipice is my father as a young boy watching his family get baptized in water. <laughs> when I saw that, I said, this moment right here, I don't know who took that holy picture, but it set in motion five generations of faith. So my grandpa went from being angry and hardened to being soft. He would hear testimonies about the gospel. He'd start to cry. He became a lay preacher. He would go down to the train depot in town. And on Saturday nights, my dad and his two sisters would sing as the trio. Someone would give a testimony. And my grandpa would preach the gospel and people would get saved. Then they would run the bus ministry to bring people to church. And my dad felt called to go into the ministry. And so he went to Eastern Bible Institute, met my mama there. And there they then felt like God was calling them to pastor. So they show up in Monroeville, Pennsylvania in 1965 to replant that church when I was only six months old. And I was raised in a house of faith. And when I got to be 15, 16 years old, I gave my life to Christ and I felt called into ministry. And now I, Mo and I, my wife, by the way, she's over here, married 34 years, waving everybody. We have five kids and all of them actively involved in serving God, several on my staff. And even better than that, we got grandkids. Can I get an amen from someone in the house? Woo! So we, we got four, one on the way, five grandkids. And my kids, my kids and grandkids are being raised. Listen, five generations set in motion because somebody preached the gospel to my grandpa and he got baptized in water. And the trajectory of change continues to reverberate just to think about all the people that my dad's life touched and that church that was planted. I mean, when we get to heaven, we'll find out all of the impact of that. But I just wanna be here to encourage you today. I know this has been the toughest year of my ministry. In 30 years, I've never had a year like this last 12, 13 months. I don't know about you, but I've had people leave my church for all kinds of reasons. I've been accused of all kinds of things. There have been moments when I have felt like quitting. It's been tough. But I, I want to just remind you that if just one person has a moment like this in your ministry, it doesn't matter whether you have hundreds or thousands or 10 or fewer than that. One moment in the, in the presence of God where someone gets saved that changes generations makes it worth it all. And I think we have to, for a moment, pause on the American version of Christian success. I think if, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it is that maybe we've been viewing the world upside down and backwards from the way that God looks at things. You know, we have this CEO culture and we measure things by growth and numbers and finances. And I believe in metrics and measurements and all that good stuff. But let me just say, when God looks at your life and he looks at your ministry, he does not see things the way the rest of the world sees them. You cannot judge your ministry in comparison with someone else's post on Facebook or Instagram. God sees from heaven. He sees from an eternal perspective. And I just want to say to you, pastor, don't give up. Come on, God's got a call on your life. We need you. There are more Thomas Leaks out there that need to give their life to Christ so that generations can be changed in Jesus' name.
Oh, God, help us. Can we just pause for a moment and pray? Let's turn our face toward heaven. God, we are just so impacted by the fact that you have called us. We don't deserve that we would be saved, let alone called into ministry. And so before we move on, we just say thank you for the privilege to serve you. And I pray that there, if there is a discouraged pastor listening to this today, that you would revive their spirit and renew their call and expand their vision in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need you. Come on, don't give up. We need you, right? We need you in this. All right, the topic for this particular message is to reimagine multiplication. Now, before we're gonna get into that, I think we need to camp for a moment on reimagining success because the way we view what we do makes a big difference in, in the, the priorities that we set. And like I said, I think the pandemic has exposed some Western culture uh, uh, superficiality in the way that we look at things. And so, so I just think we need to step back for a moment and, and reimagine success in the eyes of God. That's kind of the, the main idea of the talk today. I need to reimagine success through the eyes of God. Now, been there 30 years, we'll celebrate that. July 28th, um, uh, we, we started 1991 as the lead pastor. I'd been on staff for three years prior to that. That means I have been there 30 years as a lead pastor. Whew, it's a long time. The joy of that is I now get to dedicate the babies of those I dedicated. <laughs> I, I get to see people that weren't even born yet when I started serve as pastors on my staff. I mean, there's such a beauty of being around a long time. But I've had a lot of people leave my church over the years. I've had some people who've left, come back, left, come back. Left, come back, left, come back, left, come back. Five cycles. When they leave, I am the devil, right? Ichabod, the glory has departed. I'm not being fed anymore. When they return, I'm an apostolic leader who's changing the world. And you know, you know, I, I, I say that, I don't, not to say that I'm jaded, I'm just experienced, okay? Like, I've had this happen so often in this past year. I don't know if you've had this too, but I had some people leave my church and go to the church down the street and they left because of some stand that was taken that they did not like, and they went over to this church, and then I had some people from that same church leave their church and come to me for the exact same reason. And I'm like, what is up with this? This is craziness. So look, people who leave your church is just normal. It's just normal. So take a deep breath, it's not all over. You're gonna survive. I have actually also had people leave my church because I've sent them away when we plant. And that is also a, an experience. So I'm known as the church planter. I, I love to plant 31 churches. I love to do that. It's an amazing experience. The first time, 25 years ago now, 1996, we planted our first church, Crossway Church. And uh, Pat Summers was the planter. Uh, he had been my youth pastor for five years and then an assistant for one. So, um, you know, Pat and I were working together on this. You might have heard me share this before, but 
You know, Pat came to me, because we had never done this before, and he said, look, I'm planting 20 minutes north. Uh, what's the policy here? Can I just, can I invite people to go with me, or do you not want me to do that? How's this work? And so I was naive and full of inspiration, and I said, you can do anything you want. Take anybody you want to take. He said, you, you really, you sure? And then I thought about it for a minute, and I was like, well, maybe just tell me who you're asking first. <laughs> So I don't go through the foyer, you know, looking and seeing you talking to somebody and thinking, oh, he's going to take them too, right? So, so I said, you can take anybody you want. Just tell me first. But listen, I said, there's these two guys in my congregation that I'm really depending on right now. Don't take them. He said, man, no problem. Uh, that is so generous. Thank you so much. Wow. So the Sunday came for us to launch Pat. He had been preparing. He had a location. He had about 25 people on his team. And he preached that day. And I got up to give the altar call. And when I got up there to give the altar call, I, 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 I said this. Again, naive, full of inspiration. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, we're going to have the launch team come forward. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to come with Pat, and join in planting this church. Come on forward right now. And I'm watching as people leave their seats and come to the front, and then wouldn't you know it, one of those two guys that I said don't touch started to walk to the front. And you know, you could have like three different thoughts at, at, on the platform. Have you ever noticed this? <laughs> like you're preaching, and, and you're thinking, and you know, someone laughing at me, and then you're thinking, I, so I had, there was a third thought. I had this, God, I can't believe you would do this to me. After my generosity, I mean, my goodness, how can this be? And that's when I faced the pain of loss when you multiply. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened in that story in a minute, but now I want to take you into the Bible. We're going to look at John chapter 3, verse 26, and a parallel moment that we can learn from the life of John the Baptist, okay? John chapter 3, verse 26 um, now, this is right after John is pointed to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's baptized Jesus in water. And there is a big furor about who this person is that John has declared to be the Messiah. And it says in verse 26, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified the, as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And notice this, and everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. Now, John's staff had been with him building this great ministry. And now they were watching everything they built leave and go with someone else. Now, it was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. I get that. We all understand that now. But for them in the moment, they were like, this doesn't feel right. Can't they follow Jesus and stay with us? I mean, we built this crusade ministry and we got this thing going on and we finally got a drummer on the worship team. I mean, this is gonna be amazing, right? We, we feel like we're getting ready to explode here. Now it's gonna be awesome, but everybody just left us. What, what's the deal? I don't understand. And here's what John said to his crusade staff. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success, for he must become greater, and I must become less. All right, let's investigate John the Baptist's 
paradigm for a moment. Because we said, before we can reimagine multiplication, we have to reimagine success. And the very first thing that John confesses is such a powerful confession. And this is what he says, I am not the Messiah. Is that not a really good thing to say? Listen, some of us need to hear ourselves say this out loud. Can we just say it together? Say, I am not the Messiah. Oh, does that not take the pressure off? Look, it's not up, up to you. It's not all built on you. It's not all built for you. It's not all gonna fall apart without you because you are not the Messiah. You just point people to him. Right, so listen, that's just a healthy place. I, I was recently reminded of an article in Leadership Magazine written by John Ortberg, and he, he, he described this. Uh, psychologist Milton Rokich once wrote a book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. He described his attempts to treat three patients with a in a psychiatric hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan, all of these who suffered from delusions of grandeur. Each believed he was unique among humankind and had been called to save the world and that he was the Messiah. They were full-blown cases of grandiosity in its pure form. Rokich found it difficult to break through to help the patients accept the truth about their identity. So he decided to put the three into a little community to see if rubbing against people who also claim to be the Messiah might dent their delusion, a kind of messianic 12-step group. This led to some interesting conversations. One would claim, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I was sent here to save the earth. Rokich would ask, how do you know? They would answer, God told me. One of the patients would then counter, I never told you any such thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, one got a glimmer of reality, uh, never deep or for long, because deeply ingrained in them was this Messiah complex. But what progress Rokich made was pretty much by putting them together. You know, sometimes we need to be together to remind each other, you are not the Messiah. It is not your church. Look, it, it's, yeah, we're, we get to serve the Messiah. We get to point people to him, but it isn't me. I don't know about you, but somewhere in the middle of the pandemic, I realize no matter what I do, no matter what I decide, no matter what I say, someone is gonna be unhappy. So I might as well just get used to it and decide to please an audience of one because I'm not the Messiah. I just represent him in this world. Everybody say it one more time. I am not the Messiah. Turn to your neighbor and say, and you aren't either. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we know him, but it ain't you. <laughs> All right. Here's a second observation from John the Baptist. He says this, a person can only receive what God gives from heaven. That, that means this, I will have what heaven decides. Nothing more, nothing less. Look, your ministry will be what God designs it to be, what God assigned it to be, and nobody and nothing can take away from what God has decided to release into your life. That difficult board member, that critical person who just left, that, that person that, that you just can't, 
bear to see come and talk to you, to send another email to you. Look, they may be critical of you, but if you please heaven and heaven releases something to you, nobody and nothing can take it away from your life. So we spend a lot of time worrying and thinking, I gotta get this right because if I don't get this right, if I'm not perfect, if I don't preach that effective sermon, if I don't make that good plan, if I don't do something to change right away, if I don't get online in time or get offline in time or go in person in time, or if I don't make this adjustment, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. No, it's not your church, it's his. You're not the Messiah, he is. And let me just tell you, God is big enough to handle your mistake. The whole thing's not gonna fall apart just because you make a, a, a bad decision or you preach a, a bad message or a series of them. Listen, I'm here long enough that I can tell you that you can survive a bad sermon. Can I get an amen from somebody? The most important thing you can do with your ministry is please God. Look, you just gotta get your focus back on him because heaven is gonna give what heaven assigns. And no matter who you imitate, what book you read, what course you take, you can't increase that which God has not given. So we do our best, we learn, we hone our skill, but God is in charge of the house. Now, here's what I've discovered. Jesus loves to multiply. And so when, when I sent Pat out to plant Crossway Church, and I was standing there behind the pulpit and I'm saying to God, this is wrong. I can't believe one of the two guys <laughs> that I said, you're not allowed to touch. God, you prompted them to come forward. And I'm just, I was just mad. Like, this doesn't make sense. How can you take him from me? Do you hear that? Aren't you glad God uses stupid people too? Come on. <laughs> so, so, here he is, the grand church planner. Come on, sending people, arguing with God about I can't take that leader from me. And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, if you're not gonna give me your best, then why are you doing this? And then I quickly went into repentance. <laughs> God, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. I really, he's yours, not mine. I put him in your hands. God, do whatever you wanna do. You know, the word that God had given me when we decided to, to start on the church planning journey was Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. So God had told me, I got your back. You put the priority on me, I got your back, I'm gonna take care of you. I'll supply your needs, just be obedient, be generous, be kingdom-minded. So here he comes, he's walking down to the front of the church and I step up and I pray, we lay hands on everybody, we send them out to start Crossway Church. You know that guy who followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit? He went to Crossway Church, joined their church board, became their treasurer, he was good with money, he set up their books so that they would be effective and accountable. And when we planted our second church two years later, he left Crossway Church and went with the second church and he joined their church board and he set up their books and made them strong and accountable. And then we planted our third church in 1999. He left church number two and went with a third church, not because I asked him to, but because the Holy Spirit did. And then he set their books up, and then eventually he came back to me. <laughs> How about it? God had a plan, can you imagine? <laughs> and he didn't tell me. 
I mean, my goodness, it would have been easier if he had told me. But what, what does he ask of us? Act in faith. Open your hand. It's an audience of one. You're gonna have what heaven decides. So why wrestle with God over things when you know he's gonna win? <laughs> it's time to say, God, we just put this church back in your hands and we want what you want in our life. Okay, here's the third observation out of John the Baptist's statement. And this, I've become famous for a third point if you wanna put it up there. This statement um, that my life will not be measured by what I do, but by what I set in motion. I want you to think for a moment now about how we measure success in our culture. It's often about size, isn't it? Church size, how many people came. And, and, and this is what we tend to be struggling with. Even now, for many of us, our numbers haven't come back to where they were. And even when they, we were pre-pandemic, we're, I'm often sitting on the front row looking behind me wondering if everyone's on vacation, if they're all gonna show up in 15 minutes. And you know that's not just about where are people. It has something to do with this. Maybe finally it's going to be exposed that I'm deficient as a leader. And now everyone will know what I've always thought, which is that maybe I'm not up to this task. And people are voting with their feet. Here it is. Because last week I preached bad or whatever. And so we have a tendency to measure based on this scale of how many and how few and how much it looks better on someone else's profile <laughs> and how many got baptized and who got what position and who has what title and what degree and all, oh, there's just so many ways. Let me ask you this question. Did John the Baptist's ministry diminish after he lost the crowds? Nobody, nobody looks back and says, wow, John the Baptist, he was killing it. I mean, they were running like 1,500 a crusade. And then Jesus came along and he sent his people away and boy, his whole ministry failed after that. We don't think of John the Baptist from that perspective. We think John the Baptist set in motion the ministry of Jesus, which has now resulted in billions of people coming to Christ. And if you are gonna measure John the Baptist's impact on the world based upon the 100 people that were at his baptism service, you are totally missing the point about what the kingdom of God is all about. It really isn't about how much can you accumulate. It's about how much can you send. It's not about who's coming to hear you. It's about who's going from you to establish the kingdom of God in new places. And as we come out of this pandemic, let me just challenge you. We gotta reimagine success so that we can say, maybe there's room for me in this 100 church vision to multiply churches and leaders into the future. Because look, maybe your best years are ahead of you, but it has nothing to do with how many people come to your church. Maybe your storyline is gonna be rewritten today, but it has nothing to do with how much is coming in in the offering. It might have to do with spiritual sons and daughters that you raise up and release into what God's called them to do. Let me tell you two more stories before I conclude with prayer. So, I want you to think about my dad. You know, James Leake held many roles. He was presbyter for a long time for uh, the section he was part of. Pastored at Monroeville Assembly for 40 years. Planted that church when there was only three people left. And it died, basically, and replanted it. And over four decades, 
<laughs> he, he planted in a community that would boom and explode, Monroeville, just outside of Pittsburgh. Thousands of people saved, churches planted, missionaries supported, young people raised up and sent into ministry. What would have happened if James Leake had stayed in Titusville? Just a little suburb of Titusville, actually. What if he hadn't fulfilled the assignment to go take new territory for the kingdom? There would be a whole gap in our district and in the kingdom, but he fulfilled his assignment and he went and planted. By the way, dad's uh, almost 81 now and is struggling with his health up and down. Um, but I, I still, when I go over to see him, see him in his chair sitting there with his hand raised, speaking in tongues. <laughs> I say, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying for people who are suffering. <laughs> like, wow, a lifetime of cultivating a spirit of prayer carries forward even when your mind isn't functioning all the time. Isn't that beautiful? But the story is not just about my dad, the planter. It's about the presbyter in his section when he went there. Because with only three people, my dad was going to have to get a job. There was a presbyter who was also bivocational. His name was Shink, Pastor Shink. And he worked for the steel industry, pastored on the side. He wanted so bad to see a church planted in Monroeville that for two years, he paid my dad's salary out of his own pocket so that church could be planted. Nobody knows his name necessarily, but he set in motion something that's changed the world. Today, I have a call for two groups of people. One, if you feel that God has put it in your spirit that one day, maybe not tomorrow, but one day, you are called to plant something new. You feel like, I feel like one day I'm gonna be a church planter. I'm gonna start something. I'm gonna take territory for the kingdom. Do you know, I believe it's in moments like this that the Holy Spirit births something new. And I want you to see that, that going into a new place with a, a people that, that needs a life-giving church, I could tell you story after story about how that can change not just a city, but generations to come. And so if that's you, and you feel like, okay, God, I feel like I'm supposed to, to plant one day. We wanna, we wanna call that out in a moment. And then some of you, I feel like you have a call to be a pastor shink. You say, I'm gonna believe in, invest in, send out, you know, we call ours parent churching, you know, so send out a son or a daughter. So at first, why don't we just, why don't we just stand up together if we can? And um, let's pray for first. So turn your face toward heaven. If you wanna lift up your hands, you can. Holy Spirit, we don't believe that when, a, when, when Pastor Tom Reese gets up and says 100 churches, that it's just a gimmick or a program. We believe that you have birthed something in our district leadership to say, we believe a new wave of planters are coming. And so at this holy moment, at this, at this summit that we've gathered for, we pray for the next wave to be released. We don't want this to be done just out of programming and strategy. We want Holy Spirit, you to birth something new in us. So do something today, okay? Go ahead and look up at me now. And I know, listen, let me just say, you might be here with your pastor, and if you feel like you're called to plant, and you think, if I raise my hand, they're gonna get nervous. Listen, the timing and the methodology, this is very loose, right? But, but we wanna give permission, okay? If you feel that at some point in your future, you're gonna plant something, would you just lift up your hand right where you're at and say, I feel like that's me. Yeah, that's good. Keep, raise it high, right? Raise it high. 
Good. That's beautiful. Come on. I see people in the back over here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can we just for a moment now keep your hand raised? If you're near somebody, I want you to go towards them and let's just affirm this in the spirit. We now say, along with you who've said, God, do something new in me. Use me. I feel your tug on my spirit. We just cultivate that. We activate it now. We say, now God, in the name of Jesus, may you release, God, that which is needed. Team members and finances and clarity. God, we pray that you would begin to ignite something in the hearts of these with hands raised. But even more than that, we pray all across our district, we need a miracle. A hundred churches. We got 18 on the board, but we need so many more. And so we pray, Father God, stir it up now. Let there be a wave of anointing that would flow within this place, especially within the hearts of those who right now are, are offering themselves to you. Have your way, have your way, have your way, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And just, just right where you're at, pray out over them. Just take a moment, just declare something over their life. Yeah, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's sing this before we do the next challenge. Come on, just take a moment. Declare this. Yeah, let's declare it. May he do it again in our, in our states, right? It's in our lives. Tonight 
Let's sing your promise. Your promise is great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. God to do it again. I want you to think about this context now. 71 years ago, someone preached the gospel to my grandpa. 65 years ago, wait, no, 1965, what is that? What's the math on that? A while ago, right? 50 some, 56, 55 years ago. Brother Shink, Pastor Shink invested in my dad. 25 years ago, I started investing in church planters coming out of my house. We need a whole wave of gospel preaching, spiritual moms and dads who'd be willing to believe in and sow into the next generation of planters. I think that actually the key to the future is not just the planter, it's the multiplier. It's the parent church pastor who's willing to say, go ahead, take my people. <laughs> they aren't really mine anyway. How many of you feel like in some way God has called you to be a multiplier? You feel like I'm supposed to believe in somebody that way. Just raise up your hand. Come on. Look at that, beautiful. All right, 
I wanna just pray over you now. Would you extend your hand toward me? You know, okay, so God's used me in this way. I'm just gonna ask that whatever he's done in my life, he just put on you now, okay? That, that out of your life would come many sons and daughters. I just pray that over you. Father God, that you would impart an apostolic spirit on this district. That the story we'd be telling 50 years from now, we'd be telling 30 years from now, is about the moms and dads who opened their hearts and their house, that opened their finances and said, hey, we'll send you out. We'll believe in you. We'll pour finances into you. So Father, we pray, make us pregnant with new churches and new campuses and new works. And, and so, so Father, I pray your blessing. You, you promised me that if we put the kingdom first, you would add everything that we needed. So I pray that promise on your life now, that God would give you everything you need to multiply in his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.